New Hope, I trust that you just worshiped God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength to that great old hymn. Holy, holy, holy. Aren't you thankful for the fact that we serve a holy God today? Hey, today I happen to be in Washington State, and I really want you to pray for me. I'm actually hosting a pastor's conference, and I have the unbelievable privilege of loving and leading and serving 20 pastors. It's a small conference, but it's 20 pastors that lead 20 of the largest churches in the world. So I really and truly covet your prayers this week. But today, you are actually in for a treat. Let me tell you a little bit about my friend, our Wake Forest campus pastor, Keith Barreto. Keith is married to Katie, and together they have been married 19 years. In fact, this past Monday, August 12th, they celebrated 19 years of marriage. They have three awesome teenagers. They now have two awesome nieces that live in their home, and they are just the real deal. And Pastor Keith is actually going to share a message with you that I heard him share many months ago in the Holy Land. And as he started teaching in the Holy Land, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, you need to have that brother bring that message to the New Hope movement. So I'm telling you, you are in for a treat. And Pastor Keith actually asked me to read the passage today that would get him into the message. And so it is found in Luke chapter 15. Go ahead and open your Bibles, open that app, grab your pen, grab those teaching notes. The Bible says this in Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Thanks be to God for his word. And aren't you thankful? that we serve a God who will leave 99 just to find the one. You know, Luke chapter 15 has actually been referred to by scholars for many, many years as the gospel within the gospel. And today you are gonna hear a gospel-centered message from Pastor Keith Barreto. So church, do what you always do. Give honor where honor is due. And as you clap and celebrate, remember, we are not just honoring the man who's gonna bring the word, but we are saying to God, hey God, we love your word. We're ready for your word. We submit to the authority of your word. Have your way in our lives today. On the count of three, would you give it up and welcome Keith to this stage for his very first time teaching from the Durham stage. Come on, church. One, two, three. Here we go. Let's celebrate. 
Man, what's up, New Hope? How is everybody doing today? Man, I am excited to be right here at the Durham campus because I just feel like I'm amongst family. You know, I know we're New Hope, we're one church, we're many locations, and we already have that family feel across all of our campuses. But listen, I just feel like I'm right at home and with my people right here at the Durham campus. Hey, speaking of family, why don't you help me welcome all of our campuses across the movement. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's welcome Columbia. Come on, Garner, Hillsborough, Sanford, Town, Kaganjo, everybody joining us online. Right here at Durham, of course, but listen, would you continue to put your hands together? Help me welcome my Wake Forest campus, everybody. What's up, Wake Forest? Love you guys. I have the privilege and the honor of serving as campus pastor at Wake Forest, and man, it is incredible to get together with a group of people at our only portable campus who roll their sleeves up every Sunday and make it happen for Jesus. It's just incredible. Hey, while we're in the celebratory mood, though, would you help me celebrate 19 years of marriage to my lovely wife, Katie? 19 years of action-packed marriage, ministry, and still honeymooning. She's like, mm-hmm, amen, 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 putting up with me for all those years. Hey, can we just give honor where honor is due, though? Before we even get started, can we put our hands together for our own Pastor Benji and his wife, Amy Lynn? Oh, come on, let's lift up a shout in the house. Come on, 17 years of awesomeness of reach, teach, and release, shaking the planet, and I'm just so blessed to be part of this movement. And, uh, you know, Pastor read a passage of Scripture out of Luke 15, that's our text today, and I just want to attest to the fact that I've been with him for almost two years now, and he exemplifies the shepherd that is written about in this text. You know, he oversees thousands, but yet he still has the heart of a shepherd for the one. And we need to celebrate that because not everybody has that. And we're blessed right here at this church to have a man and a woman of God like the Kelly family. Come on, one more time for our pastor, everybody. All right, I've got a question. Are you ready for the word of God today? Hey, listen, uh, before we jump into it, I had the opportunity several years ago to go to Kenya, Africa, for the very first time. And so speaking of shepherd and sheep, I don't know uh, where you guys are from, but I am from Lindenhurst, Long Island, originally. And there's, hey, there we go, some New Yorkers in the house. There's not too many shepherd and sheep in Long Island, right? And so when I went to Africa, of course, I'm a student of the word, but there were shepherd and sheep everywhere. So I was intrigued. But what was funny was I noticed when the shepherds would lead their sheep is they normally walked from behind with a rod or a stick. And what they would do is they would yell something in Swahili and then they would swat the sheep on the backside. And then if another sheep got out of the way, he'd kick one and then he'd swat the other. And so he'd go down the road kicking and swinging and kicking. And, and I was like, well, that doesn't look anything like the scriptures, right? Like that doesn't look like my family devotion time with my children and the shepherd beat his sheep. You know, it's not like that. 
And so I took note of that, and I just thought, huh, all right. And so we were told we were going to go to the bush country the following morning. Now, in Kenya, the bush country, <laughs> it's a remote, remote part of Kenya, right? And so we were going there to hang out with some of the kids in the orphanage and do some missions work, and then I was scheduled to actually preach at the church. And so I was excited. We go out to the bush. I'm talking like remote parts of Kenya, like never seen a white person before type remote, you know? And so we get on the back of a pickup truck and we drive for about 40 minutes at 35 miles an hour through the mud, through mud puddles, in the woods, all the way through. And finally, after about 40 minutes of this, the village opens up with children everywhere. No more woods, just a huge village. And the kids were so excited to see us. And so we were excited. Like they're jumping up, they're like, ah! And so we run to the gate where they were to get into the schoolyard. And all the kids, I'm talking like 250 children, run up. And then they stop right at the gate. And so I went to the gate and I stopped as well, but then I walked in and one little girl had the courage to just kind of sneak up like this and she was inching up and she, she touched my arm. Well, I thought it was the cutest thing, so I smiled. Well, at the time, I happened to have braces on my teeth <laughs> and they were green. And so the little girl looks at me and then she looks at my braces and she goes, ah! and takes off running, <laughs> and the rest of the village took off running with her. And I was like, I said to my interpreter, Bishop Peter, I said, Bishop, what's up with that? He said, they have never seen a white man before. And then he said, and the earrings on your teeth have frightened the children. <laughs> I said, man, earrings on my teeth? I said, these children probably thought I was a monster or something. But it was at that moment, after we played with the kids, they eventually warmed up to us, but I walked outside of that schoolyard to go to the church to preach, and I had an encounter with somebody. A man was walking past me, speaking in Swahili. And so I said, Habadi. And he was speaking real gently. Habadi means welcome, or hello. And so he said, Habadi, brother, and he kept on walking. But he kept on speaking, and then he began to sing like real gently with a few notes. So of course I turned to see what he had to say, but he kept on going. So I thought, well, all right. I mean, you know, I'm from New York. People speak to themselves all the time, right? So I, I just kind of disregarded. But when I turned, a sheep walked past me, and then another. And so I took about three more steps and I came around to turn. And when I did, there were about 20 to 25 other sheep that were following behind this man. And it was at that moment that I realized that these sheep are his. This man is their shepherd. Only he's not leading them with force and with fear with a rod and kicking them in the backside. No, he was leading them with a still, small voice. And you could tell that the sheep wanted to follow him because they knew that they were cared for and they were loved. And so his influence led them. Now, comparing the two shepherds, which one do you think was more like Jesus? That second shepherd, right? Because that's what the scripture says. Jesus leads us with a still, gentle, small voice. And so when we come to our text... We kind of have a conflict in the text because we have the Pharisees who represent religion, but we have Jesus who represents relationship. Are you ready to jump into it? Let's look at Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Come on, across all of our campuses, let's read this one out loud together, starting at verse 1. 
All right, ready? Let's read. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, being that both groups represent the Lord or claim to represent the Lord, because, you know, you can be a leader and say that you represent God, but don't necessarily have the heart of the Father. Kind of like that first shepherd, you know, driving his sheep with force and with fear. And so the true test of the shepherd's heart, of whether they have the heart of the Father or not, is going to be seen in how these men view sinners which those who are far from God. That's how you know if you truly have the heart of the shepherd. And so we have a little bit of tension here at the table. We have the Pharisees who represent religion, who come from the perspective that God is a harsh God who is in heaven waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you. Is God really the kind of God that goes around, has his angels following us so that they can collect information on us so that it could be used as evidence and punish us on the day of judgment? So you guys know, um, you may not know, but um, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, right? So my, hey, there we go, Boricua. So my, my family is 100% Puerto Rican on my mother's side, and we're from New York, right? So we have those two things going. So that's why every now and then I could be a little bit feisty if it's, you know, a competitive event or something like that. Uh, the flesh comes out. And so, um, but we try to keep that on the low. But anyway, um, I had an aunt, Lillian, great aunt. She was about, she might have been five feet. Just a, just a woman of God, God-fearing woman. And she's gone on to be with the Lord now. So I'm allowed to testify about it, right? <laughs> but Aunt Lillian, she had a desire to instill a fear of God within us because she didn't want us to sin against the Lord, right? And rightfully so. Good, that was a great principle. But sometimes it could be taken to extremes. And if you know anything about Spanish people, every now and then we could be a little superstitious. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying every so often, right? And, and so Aunt Lillian, no matter what happened in life, whether big or small, she would always find a way to somehow show you that that was the reason why it happened was because God was punishing you for something you did. It could be something small. Like you could be walking through the living room and you bang your leg on the coffee table. As soon as she heard the thump, she would come from like across the house and lean outside the hallway and be like, uh-huh, you see what happened to him? God is punishing you. I was like, Ew, Lil, what do you mean? Uh-huh, yeah, look at, mira paya, which means look at that right there. God is punishing you. I was like, Aunt Lil, come on, I'm hurting. You know, have a little compassion. Compassion? That's because Jesus is watching you. You better be careful. Cuidado. And then, oite. She, I mean, she would just like continue to, to, to hammer you. And it's funny now, you know, growing up, because I'm a grown man. But as a young child, that stuff will scare the daylights out of you. <laughs> And so every time something happens in life, you immediately, it can plant a seed in your heart, and you go back to thinking, huh, I wonder, if did I sin against God? Did I? And so anytime that happens, you feel like God is mad at you, or has rejected you, or is, is, is displeased with you, because as soon as it happens, you got that voice in the back of your head going, uh-huh, cuidado, right? Be careful. 
And so the true test now, as we turn the camera to Jesus at the table, is Jesus going to show us that God is that same God who is in heaven waiting to punish us as soon as we do something wrong? Or is Jesus going to let us know that God is the John 3.16 God? That says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Or perhaps Jesus is going to show us that God is the Romans 5.8 God. That said, while we were still sinners, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Or perhaps Jesus is going to show us that God is the Jeremiah 31.3 God. That said, God has loved you with an everlasting love. Or perhaps he's going to let us know that God is the Revelation 7-9 God that lets us know that God loves every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every people. Oh, look at somebody and say, God is awesome. But check out this third verse right here, though. This, this, is, this is great. Check this out. Let's read it across all of our campuses. Luke 15 and verse 3, all right? Let's read this. Verse 3. Ready? Let's read. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? until he finds it. Now, in other words, Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, I could see it now, uh, respectfully, but because you men lack relationship with God, these people whom you have labeled as sinners who are far from God aren't very valuable to you because you didn't pay an expensive price for them. But let me go ahead and turn the tables and hit you in your wallet. <laughs> he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. In other words, you will drop everything that you're doing to go after them. Why? Because they are valuable and expensive which is the same thing that we learn about Jesus. Jesus is saying this because he knew that he would ultimately lay down his life and pay an incredibly expensive price for our lives. And so we have incredible valuable with, value with God. And so what's so cool about this, though, is that Jesus is using this opportunity to show the religious leaders that it's not just the upper echelon of society that are valuable to God. But what society and the religious leaders would deem as the very least, Jesus is saying they're just as valuable to God. Right? He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Good God, the, the IRS and a drunk. <laughs> Jesus loves them both. <laughs> uh, the Pharisee and the prostitutes. Jesus loves them both. Come on, somebody. The CEO and the homeless man. Jesus loves them both. May I go so far as to say the Republican and the Democrat. Jesus loves them both. And since I'm already down in there, may I just say the legal citizen and the illegal citizen. Jesus loves them both. Oh, that's what I love about the Lord. Now, 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 let me tell you something because I want you to grasp hold of this. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this today. And that's this. 
Jesus was willing to leave behind the 99 to show us how valuable we are to him. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? That's exciting stuff right there. Jesus is willing to leave behind the 99 to show us how valuable we are to him. Now lean in here because this is important. Even if he has to show us tough love, he still values us. Let's look at this fifth verse. Now we've already read that Jesus, the shepherd, has left the 99 to go after the one. So we're gonna pick it up in verse five right here. It says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now typically, when a shepherd would have a sheep that would wander off and he would have to leave the flock behind to go and find that one sheep, what he would do is when he found the sheep, he would break its legs. And he would put the sheep upon his shoulders. And of course, he came back rejoicing because he was excited and happy for the fact that that which was valuable to him that he lost is now upon his shoulders. Now, at first, you'd look at that, and it may seem a little bit cruel. In fact, it may seem fairly harsh because he has just broken the legs of the sheep. The reason why the shepherd rejoices is because if the sheep would continue to wander off and do its own thing, eventually it could fall victim to a pack of wolves and be destroyed. And so the shepherd, for the safety and well-being of the sheep, would break its legs so that it couldn't wander off anymore. Now, now what, what's really cool about this as well is at this moment, this sheep is able to see a side of the shepherd that it has never been able to see before because he's close to the shepherd. Right now, he's able to get the scent of the shepherd. He's able to see what the shepherd is able to see, no longer on the ground. Now he's elevated, and he has a closer relationship with the shepherd than any other of the sheep. Now, now, it may seem harsh, and it may seem difficult, and sometimes when we go throughout life, it could seem that we have the same situation in our lives. Perhaps uh, something we prayed for, God didn't answer. Or maybe we went through something, we thought God should have done something that should have been done, but it didn't get done, and it seems like our legs have been broken. I remember my wife and I, when we, um, we were about to get married, we were engaged to be married, and uh, it seemed like it was a while back, uh, 19 years, and I remember when we, we were about to get married, my father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. Now, my father-in-law was a man of God. He was a pastor, he was a preacher, and, and he was diagnosed with cancer, and it hit us hard. It hit us hard because he was like the pillar of the family. And so my wife had already lost her first daddy, who was also a pastor and a preacher. In fact, he was a man's man too, right? Like he, 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 he was a construction worker. He was a, a carpenter and a, and a preacher, right? And so he built the addition of the church with his bare hands, like, like with a hammer and nails. I mean, a man's, just like back when men were men, like they don't even make them like that anymore, you know? <laughs> 
I remember I built a little bedroom set for my wife and uh, for, for us, and, and I built it. And she said, oh, that's so nice. And then uh, I was like, I wanted her to like, you know, stroke my ego a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, I messed around with the wood. I cut the angles. I, she was like, well, honey, you built a box. I was like, yeah, but I did. And she was like, my daddy built the addition of the church with his bare hands. I was like, dang. <laughs> yeah, uh, you kind of touche on that one, right? Of course she was thankful. But, but so, so he passed on, and she already had lost her first daddy, who was a pastor and a preacher. So when my father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, we thought, surely God would not allow him to pass on. You know, and so we were fasting, we were praying, we were doing all the things that we felt we should do. We had the elders come over and lay hands on my father-in-law and pray the prayer of faith according to the scriptures. And you would think that he would survive that cancer and beat it, right? Well, he didn't. He, he actually passed on not long after marrying us. And when he did, it hit the family so hard. There was confusion, there was doubt, there, there, there was an uncertainty that, that came, and sometimes it came in waves. And what we found through this whole thing is sometimes there are no answers. You're looking for answers. Sometimes there are no answers. And what we found is we just had to trust God through it all. At that moment, you could say that it seemed like our legs had been broken. But I will say that in that season, I will say that just like bro bones being broken and growing back stronger... During that time of being with the shepherd close like that, our marriage grew stronger together. Our relationship with God grew stronger together. And he brought us through a difficult season. And I'm just here to testify today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what life has thrown your way. But I am here to say that God is more than able to keep you in the midst of these situations. And maybe you're here today and, and uh, perhaps you feel like maybe God, maybe God has, has forsaken you or maybe God has, has left you or, or maybe life has thrown you a couple of curveballs and you're not exactly certain of your value today. And so I just wanted to encourage you. I stopped by to encourage you today and I just wanted to give you a few truths briefly to, to highlight the value that we have in the Lord. If you look at your teaching notes, there are three points there. Now, let me just give you these three. Are you still with me? All right, let's look at number one. Number one, your value is not based on what you do. Your value is based on who made you. Oh, that's strong right there. So in a moment, they're going to show something on the screen. And, you know, sometimes we can look at things, we can look at people, we can look at situations, and we can judge a book by its cover without knowing the value that's inside. Take, take a look at the screen real quick and check this out. Now, if you are not an artist, you might not be able to see the value of this picture. And so you look at it, and it looks, I mean, realistic. I feel like I could have painted this thing, right? Like, I feel like I could have drew it. You look at it, it's kind of, kind of chaotic a little bit. Seems like there's lines everywhere. A lot of stuff is out of order. 
And uh, we've got five teenagers in the house right now, so sometimes my life can even resemble that just a little bit, right? And perhaps maybe you have a similar situation going on, but you look at that and you're like, there's no way in the world that this could be worth any value, right? Right, well, this painting is actually worth, it's sold for $137.5 million dollars. You look at that and you're like, $137 million? Like, oh my gosh. The reason why it's so valuable was because of the person who made it. This was made by a master artist by the name of Willem de Kooing. And he is a master artist. I could paint that, it wouldn't be worth five bucks. But because a master artist painted it, it is worth what it is worth because of who created it. And it's the same thing with you. The reason why you have incredible value is because of the person who made you. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at Psalm 139. I want to read you two verses to prove my point. Verse 13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Because your value is not based on what you do. Your value is based on who made you. Now, I'm going to move into my second point, but I want you guys to check this video out. Take a look at the screens, and then I'm going to come and say a few words about it. Watch this. One morning four years ago, Elizabeth Gibson was out for her morning coffee. Ordinarily, she'd go down that way toward the river. But this morning, something pulled her in this direction. What she found was a missing masterpiece painting tucked in between a couple of garbage bags leaning up against this fire hydrant. The work, Tres Personajes, was produced in 1970 by the Mexican abstract painter Rufino Tamayo. It was sold for $55,000 in 1977 and stolen from a storage warehouse in Houston 10 years later. When Sotheby's auctions this painting next month, it figures to fetch around a million dollars. Not bad for a canvas a Manhattan woman fished out of the trash. Uh, I just said, up. I don't understand it, but it's very powerful and I cannot leave this powerful piece of art. Now Jesus, in our text, was approached by the Pharisees and accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And isn't that how life can do you sometimes, right? Sometimes life can actually throw you in the garbage and write you off or write people off and, and put them in the trash. And it appears that those people in the scriptures had no value. But Jesus, it's just like this woman walking along. He says, no, no, I know it's in the garbage and I know it's been thrown off to the side and I know maybe you think that it's not worth anything, but I'll take that one and, and I'll take that one right there. And I, yeah, I know they did some stuff and I know that, but I'll take that one right there and I'll take that one right there. And I, I know you don't feel it's very valuable, but before it's all over, I'm going to do an awesome thing with them. And the scripture says in Philippians 1, 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily the ability that, that he has within us that he's confident about. It's the ability within himself to take things and redeem things and turn things 180 degrees in your life because Jesus is just that powerful. 
And so the term redeemed means this. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Let me just read this for you. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, of course, pastors shared this, but the term redeem literally means for a person to own something, then lose ownership of it, like that painting in the garbage, and then have to pay a price to get it back. Because your value is not based on how you feel about yourself. Your value is based on what someone is willing to pay for you. And the reality is God paid a significant price for us. He paid with the price of his son, the blood of Jesus Christ, which is a currency that cannot be matched, nor will it ever be matched. And you have incredible value. Which leads me to my third point. Number three, your value is not based on who you are, but whose you are. So, uh, Pastor, um, he, he told you about my nieces that now live with us. And so we've got five children in the house. You know, you guys better be in prayer for us, please. Somehow, please be praying across the campuses. But it is action-packed at the house, and we love it. I love my nieces, I love my kids, and we're all together. And there's not too many dull moments. But we have five kids in the house. The reason why we have them is because my nieces are from a town called Coco, and uh, some of you may hear at the Durham campus, just about everybody calls me Coco. Um, Fuller had mentioned it in the first celebration. I thought I probably should too. Every now and then, I rap a little bit, you know, do a little bit of rap music, and that was my stage name, and so that's how I got Coco. <laughs> but that's because out of that town was a testimony developed and my nieces also live in the same town of Coco. And it's, it's by God's grace, I made it out. And I'm here preaching to you now. And, and there was a, amen, thank you for that, sister. I appreciate that. And, and there was a drive-by shooting that took place not too far from where they live, about two or three trailers down. And so there is a school bus stop. There was a drive-by. And then it was time for another school bus stop to, to pick kids up. And it just hit too close to home. And so uh, my family contacted myself and said, hey, listen, uh, the girls, this is what happened. The girls are there and they're in a the trailer. Of course, it was unrelated. But do you think maybe they could come for the summer uh, with, with you and Katie? And, and if, you know, who knows, if they were to like it and stay, maybe they could stay for school. And, you know, we'll just see what God wills. And so I said, okay, let me just ask my wife. And so I ran it by Katie and I said, hey, listen, you know, for the girls, what do you think? You think maybe, and before I could even ask the question, she said, absolutely. And so I called my family back. I said, yeah, we'll, we'll be down there in two days, you know, to come pick them up. And so they're here with us now. And, and we, we got through the summer. It was an incredible summer. There's a, I mean, of course, it's a little tense because you got five teenagers. But man, it's, it's just so lovely over at our house. Um, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it, right? And uh, they're here for the school year. So of course, pray for us. But I say that to say this. And that is, your value is not based on who you are, but whose you are. Now, my nieces are valuable to me because they're my nieces. But the reason why they're my nieces is because my sister gave birth to them. Those are my sister's children. And because my sister is incredibly valuable to me, of course, her daughters are valuable to me. And it's, you're, thank you. 
Your value is not based on who you are, but whose you are. The scripture speaks about when we come to faith in Christ and we receive him as Lord, we are adopted into the family of God. That means no matter what you go through, no matter what life would throw at you, you are in the family of God because your value is not based on who you are, but whose you are. We're going to go before the Lord and worship and sing a song called Reckless Love. And um, I got to hang out with the guy who wrote this song, uh, a co-writer of this. Caleb Culver is a, a co-writer of this song. He's actually one of my summer campers. Uh, we, we have worked on staff for a summer camp for years. And Caleb is actually a camper. So I remember when he was just a little guy. And we know that this song was taken from this passage of Scripture that Jesus was willing to leave behind the 99 to show us how valuable we are to God. That's what the entire song sings about. And so I wanna challenge you with this before we go before the Lord, and that's this. Jesus saw the value in you, now may you go and see the value in others. Regardless of what they look like, Regardless of how they sound, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what they've gone through, Jesus saw the value in us. May we see the value in others and extend the love of Christ to them. Can I get a good hearty amen? Hey, we're going to go before the Lord and worship. And before we do, let's go ahead and bow our hearts and pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord. We thank you that you were willing to leave behind the 99 to go after us, Lord. We thank you that you chose to lay your life down for us. You died on the cross for us, Lord. You made it possible for that anybody who receives you as Lord would have access into your kingdom and would have eternal life here on this earth. We give you thanks today, Jesus. We love you, we honor you, and it's in your strong name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord.